It was about the age of seven um, that I had one of those moments that maybe you've had in life when I'd had all I could take of my mom and dad's rules. Hey, mom. Hey, mom. Um, and so I don't know if you remember one of those moments, but you had one of those maybe at some point. You've had like all you can take, and you decide that you're going to run what? You're going to run away, right? And so I remember that. I went and got a few things. Um, I got a sleeping bag. And I headed out. And I remember the journey. Um, it didn't take too many steps. I started to think about that I'm not the toughest cat and um, what's going to happen tonight when things get dark. And uh, we'd done sleep outs before, but we always had a tent. I, I didn't think to bring one of those. Uh, what was going to happen tomorrow when, um, where's the El Baño going to come from, right? The old El Bathroom, where's that, right? I mean, there's some like, little things. Like at 7, you're starting to think like, maybe this isn't the best decision I've ever made. And so by that point, I'm probably about 30 yards away and my grandparents' driveway was there. Hallelujah, right? And so in that moment, I just kind of had to raise the white flag and say, you know what, it's time for me to surrender. I may not like the rules or how things were going, but it's time for me to surrender. Some of you are there and it's a lot bigger than being 7 and being upset for a few moments and thinking you're going to run away. You're in difficult places in life and, and you've been trying to maybe do it your own way or you, you've tried to build your own kingdom and things have come crashing or just moments in life that are really tough. And right now it's just, you're kind of battling because you realize it's time to maybe hoist the white flag and say, God, I surrender. Uh, the time of surrender's come. And Paul is, remember, Paul is here in Acts 20 and he's called the Ephesian elders away. It's kind of the, one of the first staff retreats we see in the Bible and he calls them to come to Miltus. And he's sharing with them somewhere around the period of A.D. 57. And he's sharing with them about, hey, what's it going to be like when I'm gone, guys? And so Paul begins to share that. And so I want you just to begin to think about your life right now. I want you to begin to value your life in regards to days especially. And so what I kind of want to throw out to you is um, some statistics, okay? This is from a Center Disease Control 2015 statistics from the American populace. Um, all right, so kind of population life expectancy. Uh, males, you're expected to live here in the Estados Unidos about 73 years. Um, that's some 26,000 days. Females, around 81 years or 29,000 days. Now, we all know folks that have lived longer and shorter than that. You may be on the longer end right now, or you may be somewhere shorter or getting close. But realize that today, um, if you're the age of 10 and you're a young lady, roughly around that area, that estimates would give you some 25,000 days. That's a lot, right? Maybe you're a 30-year-old male and you're thinking, how much time do I have? Well, statistics would say that maybe you have... 15,000 days before you. If you're in your 50s, males, you would have some 8,000 days. Ladies, 11,000. But what if you're 70? Males, if you're 70, then statistics would say that you have roughly 1,000 days remaining. I mean, it starts to get scary, doesn't it? And then the truth of the matter is that none of us know. We may have a few seconds or a few moments, and that's why it's a law of averages, right? Because everybody doesn't make it there. Or maybe some of you have been blessed to live beyond that life expectancy of here, but I want us to begin to begin to say, Wow, God, my days are precious. My life matters. It's significant. I can't put off and just think, well, my life's going to get important when I graduate high school or my life's going to get important once I graduate college or my life will get significant once I have children or my life will get significant once I have that first job or my life will get significant once we get this house or my life will get significant once I retire or my life will get... The gospel would say that your life is very significant today, now in this moment. And the gospel would urge you and I to begin living for God here and now. And so I want to throw three things at you today. The first one is this, that God's constraining. Listen to what Paul says. Remember Paul has just told them about, we had that last or a couple weeks ago, about balancing life and belief, life and truth. 
And Paul now, he says, listen, guys, you know how I lived among you, how I shared daily. Um, and now he says in verse 22 of Acts 20, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. Paul, when he says, and now, he says, listen, guys, t- things have changed. All right, there's a shift now. Maybe you've, you've had those momentous mile markers in your life where, man, you can look back and say, man, that was an and now moment. Like when my life radically changed from that diagnosis, from that phone call, from that moment. I mean, I, I remember and now those things change. And he says, behold, he says, there, he says, listen, behold, literally he says, listen up, pay attention. That's an indication, right? When you, you hear angels in the Bible say, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be for all people. That word behold literally indicates, listen, pay attention. So Paul, remember his role here. He is a, a father in the faith to those at Ephesus. He shared the gospel with them. He's bringing them up in the faith. So this is their father in the faith. This is that spiritual mentor. This is that great person that you, you have poured into your life that you could think about. You'd say, maybe that wasn't a parent, or maybe it was a parent or grandparent, or maybe it was someone in the church or somebody in the community. This is that person saying, listen, guys, my time's come. I'm going to Jerusalem. And listen, it shouldn't be lost on us, but in that day and time, it definitely wouldn't be lost on them. They know what it means to go to Jerusalem. They know what it means to go to Jerusalem because that was one of the places where we first encountered this man by the name of Paul. But his name back then was what? Do you remember? Saul. And in Acts chapter 8, we encounter that he's there in Jerusalem. It says that Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the church. Jerusalem, also going to Jerusalem, it's a reminder to us of Jesus who went to Jerusalem. We know that it often says in the Gospels that from that point forward, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Or he set his face toward Jerusalem, letting nothing distract him from the course that God had set before him. So Paul similar says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And he says that word there. He says, I'm constrained by the Spirit. Depending on your translation, you may have the word bound there, quite possibly. That's, that's what the indication is of time. Uh, maybe something together, right? It's bounding it together. It indicates a, a commitment, right? There's something at work here. There's this, this constraining, this urging. Now, what's interesting about the word constrained, constrained or bound In Acts chapter 9, when we encounter uh, Saul of Tarsus, this this man Paul, who's before he's changed, we encounter him on the road to where? Do you remember? Damascus Road. Damascus Road, he has that great experience. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, it says that Paul is going there to bind anyone who is a worshiper of Jesus. Men and women, it says he throws them in prison and even has people killed for following Jesus. So Paul, who was once... Being binding others for, for trying to follow Christ. His life has so been transformed that the Spirit is now constraining Paul. The Spirit is now bound Paul that Paul says, listen, my life's no longer my own. The Spirit is doing a great work in me. What's changed about your life since you became a follower of Christ? Maybe some of you have been in Christ for a long time. Great, what's changed in the last month? The last year? The last two years? The last five? I mean, you should begin to see more and more of the fruit of the Spirit. More of a love for God's children, the poor, the outcasts, the neglected, the widows and the orphans. I mean, you should begin to see more of a desire and a love for God and His Word, a desire to sing and and to praise Him and to spend more time communing with Him. There should be an ever-growing desire. But let's be honest. In the midst of being constrained by the Spirit, those moments when God's Spirit compels us to do something, do you experience battles of your will and God's will ever? That's like an ongoing thing in my life. Literally, I have to continually come back and and pray what Jesus taught us to pray. Not my will, but what? Thy will be done. And I'll be honest, I struggle with that a lot. So I have to keep coming back saying, God, I know I said that. Lord, I really mean it this time. Right? I mean, do you ever, like, you ever there, like, man, I am struggling so much, like, with my will. And so that's, that's Paul. 
He's constrained by the Spirit. And then look what He says to us. He says, listen, guys, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I love it. I love it. Look at this. I'm going not knowing. What a statement. Right now, for some of you that may be like more OCD and more like, I mean, you've got to have like everything, lock, stock, and barrel. That right there is a statement that you don't like. You're not a big fan of that. I mean, like even this morning, if you woke up and your spouse or your family, whatever, you wanted a game plan for the day already, right? Maybe you had it written in your agenda a month ago, um, but, but you want a game plan. But Paul says, listen, guys, I'm going, I don't know. So it was in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, that our father of the faith, father who? Abraham. Hebrews 11, verse 8 records that God called this man Abram out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to go to a land that he didn't know. And it said that Abraham left not knowing where he was going. That's a terrifying moment. And so my, my usher to you would be, if Paul's going to go somewhere not knowing, if Abram is going to go somewhere not knowing, not necessarily sure of where this leads, we have to be certain that it is a leadership of God's Holy Spirit. God, I can't see beyond this path, Lord. I don't know where this, this may lead me, but God, I am going, Lord. I'm going, moving forward. I mean, it's just that, kind of that little lantern, right? I mean, I don't have a whole lot of light. I can't see real far down the path. But Lord, be Thou my vision. Be my true light. I don't know about you, but man, listen to that song this morning. That's like richer than I remember. Man, I'm telling you, I know, I know some of us, maybe, maybe you're closer to my age in your 30s or so, there's a tendency at one point um, maybe to push back and say, we don't like hymns or whatever. Man, you better be looking at those hymns and digging out the rich, deep theology. At the same time, if maybe you're not a big fan of the praise and you don't like those praise and more contemporary, you need to be looking in there. What, what are we singing about, right? I love Brother Corey and our praise team and our, our ministry of music as they lead us. They, so, they continually look for words that we sing are rooted in the Scriptures. Man, be thou my vision. How? Whew. Man. So listen, there he is. He says, listen, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know. Some of you are there. It's in different areas of your life, but maybe it's with adoption. And you know that the Spirit is constraining you. The Spirit just keeps putting this before you. And you don't really know where that leads or what that should look like, domestic, international. I mean, you're, you're not sure fostering. You're, you're just not sure. But there's something about God's Spirit that's constraining, compelling you. Others, maybe it's with biological children. You would think maybe it's too late or maybe you shouldn't try anymore. Or you're not sure. So many things have happened. But the Spirit of God keeps working. Others of you are in places where, like, you're not sure about that job. Like, if I take that, like, where is that going to lead me? Or is this the wise decision at this point in my life? I mean, I'm getting close to retirement, and how is this going to mess with 401K? And, I mean, you've got a lot of things on your plate that you're trying to factor in. But, man, there's the Spirit of God just saying something about this job. You're just not sure. Maybe there's young people here this morning, and God's telling you that you're in an ungodly relationship and you need to get out. Maybe they're reminding you that circle of friends that you're running with, they don't honor the Lord and they're leading you not to honor the Lord. And you'd say, if I leave this, I'm not sure where I'm going to be. I've invested so long in this relationship. If I exit now, like, where's that leave me? Does that mean I like wasted all this period of my life? Or if I leave these friends, then like, who will I ever hang with anymore? And so you don't have a lot of light, but the Spirit of God in you is so great. You just keep getting constrained by it. It's like, man, that cross keeps pulling me forward. I mean, I just want... But man, the Spirit's urging me more and more. Come, follow my Son. Walk in His light. That's where Paul is. So how might you know? 
How might you know what to do when you're not sure where to go? I would say that one of the beautiful things is this constrained by the Spirit. Again, if we look at the text kind of behind it, it's an ever-ongoing, literally, it's, it's active, okay? The participle is active, and it's telling us this isn't just for like a moment, like, oh, okay, I had a passing thought at a red light, maybe I should do this. No, this is saying this was Paul's life. The Spirit was just continually pressing against him. It's time to go to Jerusalem, Paul. It's time to go to Jerusalem, Paul. It's time to go to Jerusalem, Paul. Not knowing what's going to happen there, Paul, I'm not not giving you uh, the full itinerary. You're not going to get it. I'm just calling you to go. So I would tell you, as you get constrained by the Spirit, and you're beginning to wonder, is this something I should do? Does God want me to do that? First and foremost, compare it to the Word of God. God's Spirit, again, I, I say it so often, but the Spirit of God will never, ever lead you to something contradictory to the Word. Secondly, begin to pray and fast and cry out to God. God, make your will known. Talk to other men and women of God, especially those that have walked with Christ for a long time. You're blessed. I don't know if you know it or not. People say, I don't need the church. I think, what would you do without the church? There's some great men and women of God in this church who have labored long and hard in the Lord's vineyard. And they have come through the the fires, refined and tested as pure as gold. You need these great men and women of God. We need them, young brothers and sisters, listen to me. We need the mature saints among us. This is not a church reaching 30-somethings or 20-somethings. What's our? We want the whole world to come in, do we not? God loves them old, smooth and soft, old and wrinkly, red or black, white, rich or poor. God loves all who would call upon His name and so be saved. Let the Spirit, brothers and sisters, urge you forward. But in that moment, you will sense it. You can't escape it. It will seem to show up at the stoplight. That song speaks to you. The clouds seem to say something. I mean, it's just like this random stranger and it like says some, something. You're like, what? It's happening. God's Spirit is there moving Paul. Look what it says further to him. He says, listen, I'm going not knowing what will happen to me. Except, except what, Paul? Well, the Holy Spirit's testifying to me. That in every city, these imprisonment and then the word afflictions await me. The word affliction is what they indicate they would use for the grape press. Literally, when they would press those grapes to get out the juice, it would literally press against it. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, I'm constrained and I'm compelled by the Spirit, but I want you to know, I don't know where I'm going, where it's going to lead, but the Spirit keeps warning me that there's some testing, there's some pressing, there's some crushing coming on. Literally, this is the moment here is when we ought to be moving to the edge of our seats. Like, what will Paul do? Right? I mean, we love, I mean, we love to say, I'm in the Lord's army, but like, what do you do when you get marching orders like that? Right? I'm in the Lord's army. I mean, how do you say yes, sir, to imprisonments and afflictions? And so we have to ask Paul, what are you going to do in this moment? I mean, can you imagine maybe you're here today and, and your, your, your son or daughter comes up and says, listen, I've got such a passion for journalism. I can't escape it, whether it's video or whether it's, 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 it's writing, whatever. I have a passion and I feel like I need to go cover ISIS. How many can be excited about that? Or maybe you have a grandchild that shows up and says, listen, I feel compelled to go to the Middle East and I'm going to, serve, I'm going to help serve those Christians who have been, um, they've been run out of their homes and lands by ISIS and others. I'm going to go. I mean, how many, I mean, would you not have a moment of like paralyzing fear? See, we, we see this and we think, oh, well, this is Paul. Of course, it's not challenging. This is Paul in this moment speaking to people that love him. This is Paul having to deal with giving up his life, knowing what's coming. Let's be reminded, too, of this. That the Spirit will often lead you and I to places we would have never chosen to go on our own. 
I mean, is it not crazy in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1? Jesus has just been baptized, and what descended upon Jesus at his baptism, do you remember? The Holy Spirit, like a dove, right, descended. It's a beautiful, great moment. God speaks, this is my beloved Son, I'm well pleased. Awesome moment. And then Matthew 4 picks up right on the end of that and says in verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, where? Into the wilderness to be what? Tempted, and in the definite articles indicated, by the devil. Not like some like subsidiary, like somebody secondary. I mean, this is like the devil. I mean, is it not? I mean, we're confused by that. I read that and think, why would this? I mean, how can the Spirit lead us to a place like that? But then we begin to examine the rest of it. We say, well, isn't that also with Esther and Nehemiah? I mean, they go before these great kings knowing that if they go before the king and you don't summon, your life can be cut off. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, these guys, they have to say, listen, we're going to worship and serve God. We're not going to bow down to that great statue. You heat that furnace up as high as you want. And if God saves us, he's able. If he saves us, great. And if not, then we're still going to worship him. We have to have these moments of realizing the Spirit may lead us to places that we would never choose or never want. And that doesn't mean, listen, just because you're facing a tough road, that's not God's Spirit leading you there. So Paul is there and he says, listen, the Holy Spirit is testifying to me about this call. And then we have this moment here. He says, listen, this is what it is about these afflictions and imprisonments. But, given all that's coming, given even though I may not know the clarity of what exactly it looks like and where I'm headed, where this road may lead, Paul says, but. Like some of you, you're in moments you need to let God butt into your life. I mean, you, you, need, you need a butt moment of just saying, listen, I realize, I realize that I'm not sure about this. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified, but I can't get over what this constraining the Spirit is doing. The Spirit's calling me. And I've got to say, listen, I've got to really examine my life. That's what He does. And so let's read verse 24, and we'll pull up maybe our second point out of this. He says in verse 24 of Acts 20, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So not only are we raising our white flag today because God's constraining us, God's kindness also, His grace, right? Look what He says there. He says, I, Listen, my life is of any value. I don't consider it precious to myself. Why? How could Paul say that? How could he say my life's not of any value? How could Paul come to that place of conviction in life? Because there's something so great about the grace of God. There's something about God's grace. God's kindness. Listen, it's not only, friends, that we worship and serve a holy and perfect God, that in His presence no sin may dwell. A God who reminds us that there's going to come a day of judgment. Let's be honest, we hear that. That's not necessarily good news for anybody. The good news comes that God in His love would send His Son to die for sinners. Paul says in Romans 5 and 8, but God demonstrates His love for you in this. That while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's something about God's grace, His love for sinners. So we begin to say, listen, God's love for sinners, God's grace toward me is greater than my own life preferences. It's greater than little. Look what he says there. He says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. He says, my, my life, guys, he says, it's not any value, literally. Um, it's an accounting term that's being used. He's saying, listen, when I reckon my life compared to what God has done for me and what God continues to do and will always do for me, 
There's no comparison. My life is of no, no value, he says. He says, listen, how could I hold on to my life? It's, he says, my life is not precious to me. I don't know if you've come to that place of realizing that your life, it's, it's not of value. It doesn't mean that your life's not important. You just see in light of who God is and His great grace, your life has infinite importance. That you would worship and serve Him daily. That you would invite others to come in. Your life now becomes so much bigger. Why? It's part of a grand narrative. You're not part of an earthly kingdom. You're a part of the eternal kingdom. It's huge of epic proportions for all humanity. And so it was. It was the spring of 2004. And I was serving there in Lexington, Kentucky at Southland Christian Church. I was uh, involved in the student high ministry and um, we were leading a group that night and we were talking about God's grace, His forgiveness. And... Uh, that night, a question came up from one of the young men. It was just I was with a group of young men, young high school boys, and um, they all came from pretty challenging backgrounds. Um, and one of the boys raises his hand. He says, "I've got a question." He said, I, "All this stuff's great about God and Jesus and forgiving us, but he said I, I want to know." And some of you heard me show this before, but I want to know how this God who I can't see must love me like that when my dad, who I can see, doesn't love me at all. And I thought there and I was like, how in the world? And then another hand went up and said, yeah, I got the same question. Another hand goes up, yeah, I got the same question. I'll be honest with you, there's no power of any human communicator in that moment to overcome what they've experienced or are experiencing. We are in desperate need of the Spirit of God and the Word of God to bring life. But that night I walked out of there, walked to that parking lot, Pull open the door of my 97 Chevy Cavalier. Put my hand on the wheel. And went to put that key in the ignition. And Acts 20 and 24 began to hit me. Acts 20 and 24 had become my life first. Sometime in the fall of 2003, late summer of 2003, God began to do a great work in my life. And Paul's words... You know, for me, my heart Bible is the NIV, 1984. It's what I grew up on. It's what I know. But Paul says in verse 24 of Acts 20 in the NIV, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. And there I was, trying to put that key in the ignition. Life worth nothing to me. Life worth nothing to me. I already knew what was going to happen. After college, I was going back home, and I'd soon join the family business if, if other things didn't work out. And I already knew what it meant for me financially. I already meant where the trips would lead. I already knew all these things. And, and there I was, trying to put the key in that ignition. It was, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I was like, oh, God, I love my life. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus Christ is giving me. Oh, that task, God, I, I'm not worthy of this task, God. Oh, I'm not worthy of this task, Blake. You love your life. Do you love your life more than you love these? Oh, God, I'm struggling right now, Lord. You know I've been struggling. God, I've, I've been dealing with this for some time. Oh. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. In that moment, in that parking lot, in the spring of 2004, surrender would happen for me. The white flag would go up. The family business, everything. When my life would be worth nothing, then it would no longer be precious to myself. But I couldn't get over this 
to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I couldn't get over those young boys. And there in that moment, I just finally bowed and said, Lord, I'll spend the rest of my life making sure that people know that you love them and sent your son to die for them. I don't know where that road leads, but I cannot escape the constraining of the Spirit any longer. I cannot go on with my life as is. I can no longer consider it precious to myself as much as I'm struggling in that moment and even here today. There's something urging about the Gospel, brothers and sisters, and some of you sense it. It's a deep knowing. You can't get rid of it. Maybe to preach the Gospel, to teach, to lead, to adopt, to go, to knock on your neighbor's door today, to speak at that co-worker at work, to talk finally to that family member. But there's a deep gnawing of God's Spirit and there's going to have to be some funerals to our own way of life, to our own comfort, to our own precious blessed assurance and say, God, not my will, but Yours be done. Oh God, I'm so weak. Help me! Something so great. That's where Paul is. He's there wrestling with it. And so he says, I don't account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. Look what he says there. I love that statement, if only, right? I mean, we have have to have some if onlys in our life. But look what he says here. This is interesting. He calls it my course and the ministry that I receive. I want to say just a couple of things just for a moment. Each of us has the same finish line. To honor and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. To bring glory to His name. To invite people into His kingdom. To make disciples of all nations. We all, yes, absolutely. But our course and our ministry will all look different. And the reason why I want to say that is, is some of you, you've been trying to run in somebody else's lane. I mean, you for so long have been trying to run in somebody else's lane. Listen, I'm guilty of it. I mean, some of you were here, man. I mean, Adrian Rogers had such influence in my life. I was talking like Adrian Rogers. I was trying to be Adrian Rogers. I'll never be Adrian Rogers. I'll never be. God had to say, Blake, that's not your lane, bro. That's not your lane. Some of you are trying to run the race in somebody else's lane. You're trying to be your daddy, your mama, your grandpappy, your grandma, some other great. God's not called you to be them. He has loved you. He has gifted you. And He has called you. Stay in your lane. But not only that, some of you are struggling because somebody else is trying to put you in the lane that you don't want to be in. you got people around you in your life that keep saying, you ought to be here, you ought to be here, or you ought to do this. I think this is a beautiful moment where Paul says, listen guys, this was Jesus calling me. Now, you, you've got to address whatever God's calling you to do. But if it's your granny calling you, or your neighbor calling you, or your buddy call, it ain't going to last long term. That bus ministry is going to get hard, challenging at times, isn't it, Brother Bill? Working with the children, Andrew and Holly, ain't always going to be easy. There's got to be something greater than what other people want you to do. There's got to be something about God's Spirit saying, This is my course! This is my lane! Oh, but by the grace of God, I might run in it with His strength and not my own. Paul's saying, guys, if only I may finish. Look at Paul says, if only, right? There's a humility to that. I'm striving, he says, with all of it. If only. So what would allow Paul such determination and focus on finishing his course? 
that might bring prison and affliction. Like, how could Paul continue to do that? I think it's answered in verse 25. Look what it says here. So we've had God's constraining, God's kindness, His grace, and now we have God's kingdom. And now behold, he says, verse 25 of Acts 20, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul has gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God. So what's Paul telling us? He says, listen, guys, if you want to come to the place of realizing that your life does not of any value, that it's no longer precious to yourself, you've got to realize that there's a greater kingdom than yours. Paul says it's about God's eternal kingdom. You've got to begin to have a vision, to have a a realization that this world's not the end. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And then someday on thee I'll stand. For more contemporaries, you're singing, this world's not my home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. There's got to become a realization, guys, that this life is not the end. You've got to begin to realize that you are a part of an eternal kingdom that is coming. Christ's final words in Revelation 22, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I am coming soon. There is an eternal kingdom coming. And Paul is there and saying, listen, guys, this life is not all there is. And so then you have to ask the question, is it worth it? Like, Blake, maybe I'm here today and the Spirit's calling, urging me to do something. I sense it. I can't get away from it. What God's calling me to do for Him and His kingdom. But if I was really honest, I'm not sure it's worth it to make that jump from leaving my life as it is now to doing what God's called me to do. Whatever sacrifice that means, and it's individual to each of you. Guess what? You're in good company. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy's name, but his name is Peter. And he asked basically the same exact question to an expert witness, and that guy's name was Jesus. Look what he says in Matthew 19, verse 27. Peter says, See, we've left everything and followed you. Is it going to be worth it? Wow. What a question today to end on. I mean, if we're going to talk about giving your life up for no longer precious to you, if we're going to urge you today, I'm compelling you to follow the Spirit, then Blake, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Well, the grace of God, Paul would say, is is absolutely worth it. It urges, it compels what God's done for me. But Jesus says, listen, I don't want you guys to only realize about the grace of God. I want you to look forward to what the grace of God is going to bring in its fullness. Look what Jesus says, verse 28 of Matthew 19. Truly I say to you, in the new world, There's a new world coming. There is a new world coming. No more sickness there, Miss Rhonda. It's a new world coming, sister. When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne. It's a new world and Jesus rules there. He says, you speaking specifically to the twelve there that is... He says, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then he says this application that begins to get huge. And everyone, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or children, for my name's sake, Two things I want to throw out at you right there about my name's sake. One is, there's no reward for those who do it for their own glory. Jesus says you've received your reward in full in this life. 
If it's for your name and your glory, you've got your reward here and now. Enjoy it. And secondly, Jesus assumes that His name is worth it. Jesus assumes that what He has done for you, no one else could do. His love for you in the midst of your sin, His death, burial, glorious resurrection, the return of a kingdom that He will welcome you in and call you His blessed brother or sister, that God would be your Father. Jesus says, for those that have left houses, or moms and dads and grannies and grandpas, the Greensburg KY, for those that have left it for my name's sake, He says, you will receive a hundredfold. Mark tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 30, in this life. Jesus isn't saying He's going to give you a big plush whatever you're after materialistically. He's saying there's going to be joy. There's going to be peace. There's going to be the overwhelming strength of God's Spirit a nearness to God. You can never ever begin to multiply how much that's worth. And then He says this. This is where we close today. And they will inherit eternal life. Be careful today if you think that giving up your life will somehow now qualify you to inherit eternal life. It doesn't. Jesus says for those that have left lands, houses, brothers, sisters, the the family farm, the family business, uh, riches, whatever, your comfort. He says, listen, don't be confused and think that you do that and somehow now you've inherited or earned eternal life. He says it's still an inheritance. You still need grace. But man, isn't it worth it? He says this is the gift of God. And Paul is there and he's dealing with all this, looking to you and I. And I think we have to begin to urge us to sing these words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but what? Loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole rim of nature mine, there were an offering far too small. He says, there's nothing I could ever give in God in return. Thanks. Listen to what he says. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul... My life, my all. Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. Bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. All who gather here by grace draw near and bless His holy name. Is God calling you to leave whatever you count as valuable, whatever you consider precious. Brothers and sisters, I compel you to the cross of Jesus Christ and His love for you. That you would submit your life to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and follow where God's calling. Wherever He leads, I'll go. Would you surrender to that today? In light of who God is and His kingdom coming, I promise you it is and will always be worth it. Would you pray with me? Father, in the great name of Jesus, thank You. Thank You, thank You, thank You for just, God, that I could be any part of testifying to the Gospel of God's grace. Bless my brothers and sisters right now. I know that You spoke to many of them. I know You've been speaking. This is not something new, God. They've been dealing with something from You for a long time now. 
I pray today that there would be some constraining, some some being bound, saying, I, I just I can't refuse God's Spirit anymore. Whatever that looks like. May your people, your people who are called by your name, may they humble themselves in this place, God, and say, not my will, but your will be done. I pray in hopes of what Jesus Christ, the soon coming King, will do. Amen. Amen.